12-pack radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, the podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Bader and College Football Statistical Model, and your home for Pac-12 gambling advice. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. And we are yet one more week closer to an actual Pac-12 football season and breaking down every team in the entire Pac-12 will be myself. Mr. Rob Bowron and Hiffleday from Addicted to Quack. Thank you for joining us. A couple of quick housekeeping items. Thanks to everybody that has written a review. We kind of made a, a little cattle call for that, and a, a number of people responded. Thanks for doing that. If you haven't written a review about the podcast, please do so. You can also follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio. And we have our contest. It's starting to roll. We're getting the uh, we're getting the entries in for our Pack 12 Survivor Pool. And the uh, way that you join that is uh, retweet the podcast, and I will send you an invite with the link and with the password to get into the contest and all you have to do is pick one Pac-12 team each week to win if they win you move on if they lose you're out and you can only pick each Pac-12 team once the winner will win some sweet sweet swag from your college uh, from Etsy and there's some really cool stuff on there actually um, where we're gonna give tickets away and then realize that like there's a lot more cool unique things that we could give away as a prize so if you want to join please do retweet the podcast I will send that to you and of course you can find the link on sharpcollegefootball.com I'm joined by Mr. Rob Barron Rob we are getting into the interesting teams. ASU was interesting, to be fair. To be fair, interesting team there. Um, but we're starting to get into, um, I guess, some of the more like enigmas uh, today. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm excited to talk about some uh, some teams that have uh, a wide variety of potential outcomes. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really fun. We kind of put these all together for a reason. And we are also joined by Hithliday from Addicted to Quack and the Quack 12 podcast. What is going on, Hithliday? Uh, no much I, I think these teams are pretty interesting uh at the very least they illustrate like how wide the pac-12 is in terms of uh its schemes its points of reference uh and what teams are trying to do with different talent levels absolutely we are doing cal we are doing stanford and we're doing washington state this week and we will continue now the last couple episodes we've done three teams as we move forward we're going to cut this down to two teams because we just want to give some of the more contenders uh some more time uh, to talk about their scheme and break down their roster and all that stuff so just know that if your team hasn't been up yet we're going to give you a little bit more time as we move forward to the start of the season let's start with cal chase garbers returns and uh and a once mighty defense may or may not be there rob uh what does beta rank say about cal uh, what did they say about them in 2019 and what are the projections as they head into a uh, a unique season so cal last season they really struggled uh, on the defensive side of the ball it kind of it kind of snuck up on people because they had, had taken such a giant leap forward you know under uh you know under wilcox and DeRoyter. Um, they finished out last season at 40 in beta rank, uh, number 35 on defense, which was a bit of a fall off from where they finished the year before, uh, 52 on offense in beta rank, um, where they also, you know, kind of had a little bit of a, uh, you know, they did better special teams, 21 there. They do have, and this is, you know, there's a ton of optimism in Berkeley, you know, and, and around college football in particular, because I think a lot of people tend to focus on like the first question is like, is the quarterback coming back? And the answer is yes. Um, they have a new offensive coordinator in. Uh, they have 93% of production returning on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that's, like I said, like that's where a lot of the positive projection for Cal comes from. They're at 108 in returning production on defense. That's roughly 50% of you know Bill Connolly's returning production on that side of the ball. 
and they're at number 38 overall in recruiting coming into this year. That's actually higher than I thought it was going to be. Uh, just not really getting it done yet in Berkeley, uh, despite the academic standards and all that stuff. I'll be interesting to talk about. Now, you mentioned the offense, and it does start with Chase Garbers. And when we take a look at the tools he has with him, they're kind of interesting. And and let's go with you, Hithliday, first. Chase Garbers, 1,700 yards, 61% completion rate, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. The big, you know, the big narrative coming out of this past year with Cal was when Chase Garbers was on the field, that team performed really well. When he went out, there were certainly issues. And we'll get into the defensive side because I think that's going to be a major, major red flag uh, when we start to project whether or not Cal's going to be contending for the Pac-12 North, which I don't think they're going to be. Um, um, but what did you think about Garbers? And then after that, what do you think about the offensive line that's protecting Garbers? Uh, I think the Garbers is a pretty solid quarterback. Um, I uh, I think that the in between his injury in the middle of the season uh, in 2019 and the crazy carousel um, with Brandon McIlwain um, and like two other quarterbacks uh, in 2018 has probably hindered his development a little bit. And, and I am looking forward to seeing whether or not he uh, is is going to step, you know, take the next step forward, um, and hopefully remain healthy the entire year and play the entire season. Um, uh, a couple of observations. It's true that every game that Chase Garbers played the full game in 2019, Cal won. Um, on the other hand, just simply the offensive production, um, especially the passing production, is just it's not stellar. Uh, e- even in those games, you know, e- in those seven full games, Cal only averaged 26 points a game, um, which, you know, 26 points per game would be number 84 in all of FBS in terms of scoring offense. Um, and it was against the softer half of their schedule, you know, it was when they played their FCS team. Uh Three of the defenses that they faced were number 87 or worse in SP+. Um, you know, he didn't play against Oregon or Utah or USC or ASU, you know. So I I, I sort of think that, you know, as much as I, I like the guy and I think he's a, a pretty solid, you know, quarterback to have, you know, there's reason to be a little skeptical about his numbers. The other thing that I noticed is just how much the guy, uh, you know, breaks the pocket and scrambles. Um it, it's, uh, you know, I, I charted him taking 146 dropbacks in uh, over the games I was able to chart of his uh, and 40 percent of them, you know, ended in a sack or a scramble or a throwaway, um, which is 20 percent is a bad number. 40 percent is an insane number. Um, and, you know, part of that, you know, obviously reduces the, the passing production because if you're running around scrambling or taking a sack, you're not going to be throwing the ball that much. Um, and part of it is, you know, hey, the guy needs to stay upright. You know, I think everybody learned that watching last year that their backup options are, are not adequate. Um which leads to the second part of your question, which is about the offensive line. You know, it's a double-edged sword here. They bring back just about everybody on the offensive line, um, I- including, uh, it should be said, Will Craig, who is their uh, their left tackle. He was a, a four-star in the 2018 class. He got injured in both you know both those years. Um, but you know, when I've been able to see him, he looks pretty decent. The the problem is the rest of the line. I mean it's just not particularly talented. Uh, you know, that's the other part of the double-edged sword is, is that it's very clear in film study that they're just not blocking that well. And there was a reason why Garbers is scrambling all the time and, and was, I think a hundred, you know, Cal was like 126 in sacks taken last year out of 130. Like, uh, 
and in terms of the rushing performance, like I really like the running back, particularly Chris Brown, in terms of being able to get yards after contact. He has to get yards after contact because the offensive line simply isn't opening big enough holes for him. Um, so, you know, everything. Thing we are going to wind up saying about Cal is sort of there's a plus and there's a minus, you know, and and starts, you know, the quarterback and the offensive line. It, it's true of, you know, they bring back these guys who are solid options. On the other hand, uh, you know, they just didn't produce that much. And 90 percent of mediocre is still mediocre. Yeah, Rob, one of the things that we haven't really brought up yet is, and we did allude to the fact that Musgrave is now the offensive coordinator at Cal, replacing Bo uh, Bo Baldwin, who we were bullish on when he was hired and then quickly fell off that train very, very quickly. I just think that was a disaster hire. It ended up being like him coming from Eastern Washington. We were pretty excited about the high-powered offense. He comes to Berkeley, doesn't get it done. He's removed. So there is, again, like Hithloday said, there's some positives and some negatives. Uh, The positives, obviously, Garbers comes back. Obviously, he has a line. The negatives is the the line wasn't particularly great. Steve Greatwood has left. They've brought in more of a recruiter now um, on the offensive line. It'll be interesting to see how that develops. And then they have uh, what hopefully is a positive, which is Bill Musgrave coming in to coach the offense or uh, play call plays for the offense. Uh, how bullish are you on uh, on the quarterback play, on the offensive line play, and then we'll get into some of the the tools they have and the skill positions on the offense. Yeah, I mean, so Batering projects the protection model projects the offense to improve with everything that they have coming back. Uh, you know, returning production is more correlated with the offensive side of the ball. Um, so it has them at 36 uh, there on offense, uh, but they really struggled throwing the ball last year. They graded out at 66 in effective pass, uh, and I, I, I agree with you on Brown. I think he's he's quite good. They were at 44 in effective rush um, there, but. You know, where they really, I mean, they just, they did not have great play efficiency. They had too, and, you know, all those sacks, I mean, too many negative drives. They graded out a 98 there uh, last year, for just putting up really, really bad offensive outcomes. Um, I, I, I like, you know, the Musgrave higher compared to what they were doing. I mean, I don't, I, I think, I don't know if there could have been a more hyped, uh, offensive system coming in that Eastern Washington system with uh, the, the offensive coordinator that ended up at Utah, Troy Taylor, and then Bo Baldwin ending up at Cal and, and neither of them lasting very long in their jobs. Yeah. Baldwin was uh, up for some head coaching spots. Like he was getting thrown yeah. around for a couple of them and then, Oh my goodness. Now, now he's back at the FCS level or whatever it is, the lower level. But anyway, and I, I looked, you know, really tried to look into Musgrave and, and people were, impressed by some changes he made late in his pro career as a play caller um, to try to update his offense a little bit. Um, so I, th- I think it should be, I mean, I don't think Baldwin was lighting the world on fire. Um, they're, they're not project. I mean, they, they're projected to improve. They're still projected to only be a middle of the road, uh, you know, offense next season. Uh, but I have, you know, I have concerns about hiring Angus McClure, <laughs> To coach the offensive line. Mm, seconded. You know, they were only, at, you know, Cal only graded out of pro football focus at 58 offensive, you know, for their offensive line play last season. McClure was really bad when he was at UCLA. Uh, and his, 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 you know, those Nevada offenses that he was helping to coach were awful. I mean, just awful. Uh, so I, I mean, he has a reputation as a recruiter from his time at UCLA. Um, but not as a developer of talent. And if you're Cal, I mean, the the line play wasn't great last year. You really, really, this hire may not be the one that you want to fix it. Um, Yeah, as I say, particularly with all those pieces coming back. Um, And I know, Hithliday, you had talked with 
um, uh, some friends at uh, the the Quack 12 podcast about Cal and about that coaching change. And I know you're familiar with Steve Greatwood. How big of a regression do you do you think that coaching uh, spot is? And is Cal going to try to fill that in with somebody else that can maybe reinforce the line? Or do you know what's going on in that front? Uh, not sure. Uh, the, we talked to, uh, Rob Wang, um, of right for California, which is a wonderful site, uh, f- uh, about Cal sports. Um, and, uh, we actually, yeah, we had a pretty long conversation about the coaching stuff because there wasn't much to talk about in terms of personnel. It was all, all these guys are coming back. So we wound up having a long conversation about the coaching stuff. Um, I am, uh, as an, uh, as an Oregon fan, I am a huge fan of Steve Greatwood. He, he was at Oregon for a very long time. Um, and I am not a big fan of Angus McClure. Uh, I don't know if the line's going to regress. I, you know, simply because it's not like they're going to forget how to, you know, what they did. Um, but I don't think they're going to get better. Um, to be honest, you know, or I think any improvement will be, you know, pretty minor and incremental. And and really, the big issue is just the talent. I mean, ultimately, in the long run, it what Cal needs more than anything else is talent. Uh, and so Angus McClure, in a long term hire, if he can actually haul in some better bodies, you know, might might be the smart move is just, you know, probably not going to see it in 2020. Um, you know, the biggest thing that happens is, you know, hopefully will Craig, uh, you know, get, uh, plays the entire season because having a decent left tackle is obviously fairly important to keeping your quarterback upright. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, how Bill Musgrave plays out, I guess I'll put it this way. Cal is number 10 out of 12 in terms of their, you know, their actual roster talent in terms of the projected too deep as I see it. And they they are just not a very talented group. They they are lagging behind the rest of the league. Certainly, the contenders in 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 the divisions in terms of having the bodies to make it happen. And look, there are some offensive systems in the, at the college level that let you that let you play way above your 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 talent level on the, on the offense, you know, we've all seen him, right? Mike Leach and Ken Niamatololo and Rich Rod and so forth. Like, but they, you know, they require a couple things. Number one, you got to know how to do it. Number two, you got to have, you know, the right type of guys, not just any guys. You have to get guys who are like good market values because they have certain skills, but not others. And your offensive system emphasizes the skills that they have and de-emphasizes the skills that they don't. And neither of those things really obtain uh, with Cal, right? Like Bill Musgrave has, has been there for a short period of time during a pandemic without time to practice. You're installing a new offense and we have no evidence at all that he, you know, has one of those magic trick offenses in his back pocket. Like as far as I can tell, again, I'll plug right for California. Again, they wrote a a wonderful article about, um, you know, what he's, you know, what he has done at his time in the NFL at at Minnesota and uh, Atlanta and so, and uh, Philadelphia under Chip Kelly of all people. Um, where, you know, he's an Erhard Perkins guy, like how like the Patriots, you know, under Charlie Weiss uh, installed. And um, that's a very complicated system. It probably exceeds the scope of this podcast to go through it. But basically, the quarterback controls everything, um, you know, and can modify plays on the fly, modify components of plays and and redirect stuff and like I this is the wrong offseason to be installing a hard Perkins like uh you know I, I even if Bill Musgrave in the long term turns out to be a great uh college offensive coordinator um I I just don't I'm I have a hard time seeing that happening in 2020 I I actually think 
you know, Bo Baldwin obviously didn't work out. An, an FCS guy who can work with low-talent teams to put up magical numbers, if that didn't work with this talent, then an, uh, a system that only works with NFL talent? Oh, no. That could be bad. <laughs> Rob, do you agree? I mean, I, I, I think everything Hippoliday is saying is quite fair. Um, at the same time, Bo Baldwin was a disaster, um, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not they can really pick up the pieces and move forward. Yeah, I, I mean, it is... It was amazing to see Cal go from uh, a very competent offense under Sonny Dykes to I mean, with a completely incompetent defense. Of course, you have to state that. But the, you know, to to what they had been. I mean, and even the improvement last year, which was a marked improvement over where they had been the year before. You know, still left them as a bad Power Five offense. Um, I'm just, I'm 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 a little skeptical that Musgrave was really the right hire here. You know, I, I agree with everything Hiplade said. I just I'm a little confused at a time when, you know, a lot of college concepts are going, you know, and you could argue more college concepts are, are percolating up to the NFL to see somebody go hire a little bit of an old hand NFL offense, you know, pro style. I mean, that almost no one in the NFL is running anymore. Um, you know, so I was you know, there are there's some arguments that Musgrave, you know, did open it up and, and you know adapt a little more towards the end of his career. I think that that you know, if you're Cal, that's something you can hang your hat on. I just, it just seems like an odd. It seems like an odd. It seems like an odd choice, frankly. And it, I, I think if you're gonna like, if you look at what Cal has, I think it sort of puts a ceiling on where that offense is going to be, and that might be in the mid 30s. You know, which probably probably isn't enough to compete for the Pac-12 North. I don't see it. Like that—that's what worries me about the like they—they they really they did need to make a change. Bo Baldwin had you know it wasn't working. I, I just this wasn't the hire out of made. The other thing I'll say, like I think maybe too much is being laid at the feet of Bo Baldwin. I mean, certainly yeah. the quarterback carousel that happened in 2018, where oh, you yeah. know that's, I mean, holy. Holy cripes, man, like that that is malpractice in terms of coaching. But a couple of things. Number one, there's no way that Bo Baldwin just does that on his own. You know, like the, right. Justin Wilcox has to sign off on that. And the fact that he signed off on it, you makes me question whether Wilcox knows, you know, he's still in position. And the other thing is that, like, boy, I don't know with this level of talent in 2018, 2019, how much you can really say, Oh, this is a hundred percent on the offensive coordinator. Like, I don't know that many offensive coordinators would have had a particularly often, you know, productive offense here. So if the argument is, well, Bo Baldwin was, was holding this offense back and you simply take the brakes off and, and they'll accelerate away. Like, I don't, I don't think that's true. Yeah. I have temper expectations on that. I do think that like, again, on the positive side, you return your quarterback um, you return your offensive line, and I do want to get into the skill positions, particularly the the running back. And Hithleday, you mentioned uh, Christopher Brown. Rob, I know that you watched a lot of Cal football. I mean, this is somebody that had 12 total touchdowns, eight on the ground, almost a thousand yards. Um, he can catch passes out of the backfield, and really was able to bounce off a couple players. And then he's backed up also by Marcel Dancy, who I also liked. Like, I think their one two yeah. punch is quite good. And then you add the fact that I don't think we're going to see a lot of him, but Chris Street, they got a top 25 running back. He's one of their their the few really four star recruits that they brought in. He comes in. He had offers from USC and Oregon and Florida. Um, they have a running game here, and it, I like. I, I could see a scenario where that's really where Musgrave kind of hangs his hat on on like doing the run to set up the pass. I, I don't know. Like, and, and maybe he doesn't do that at all, and he just goes on Garber's arm. But um, there is some pieces here to be really effective, uh, at least on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really you you could argue Brown is is 
he's not a it, it sounds harsh to call him a poor man, Zach Moss, but he definitely he, he got a lot of yards after contact, right? And in particular, if you stayed up and watched the uh, you know the the interrupted Washington game, right? Like you know yeah. he, he he put yeah. that cow. Chris Brown probably more than anybody else won them that game. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris Peterson being number two. Oh, oh shots fired! <laughs> shots fired! No. Um, but he was he was great, uh, you know, and, and he, he was absolutely having to you know drag drag guys, you know, for those couple yards he was getting to get the you know keep the chains moving. Uh, my concerns, you know, beyond that though, I mean, are, are really on the on the wide receivers because I don't I don't know that there's are any real difference makers that they have there. Um, and also, I would like you know even if they I mean if they if the if that's you know may continues to be the case. Um, you know, the offensive line again and pass protection is a big concern. So it's, I think that you do have something you can hang your hat on and something that they can work off of. And if, if they can lean into that, right, and make it work for them and get themselves to the point where they're getting, you know, four yards per, you know, getting really, you know, a solid yards per carry number up there, it could work, right? You know, the, then that takes a lot of pressure off what your passing game has to do. But again, like there's, there's still a limit. I mean, I just, I feel like there's still a little bit of a limit, right, to to what you're going to be able to potentially achieve with this this offense. Because really, who, I mean, if you were going to say, I mean, there, there's some guys that you, you like, you know, in the wide receiver core, but nobody that really stands out as like, oh, you know, gosh, like that guy's going to take, you know, that guy's going to take the next step. Yeah, I totally hear you on that. And Hitler, I'm curious what you think about this wide receiving core because. Um, it could, it could like best case scenario, it's the chicken and egg thing, right? Like they didn't have really great quarterback play. Um, and so maybe that's it. But at the end of the day, you take a look at the roster here on the wide receivers, not super strong, although Nico Ramigo was certainly a player that stepped up and, and really started to emerge. He had five uh, touchdowns. I'm sorry, three touchdowns through the air, about 500 yards, 13 yards per catch. He was a four-star kid in 2018. Uh, Mackie I Polk, uh, was also somebody that started to emerge. Kakoa Crawford, uh, after that, though it's kind of like woo woo buddy um not a ton there uh so the depth i don't think is there but what do you think of the skill players that they have uh in terms of their pass catchers i know they have a couple of tight ends too that they're hoping to count on before we do the wide receivers let me jump back to the running backs real quick um because there's a couple potentially relevant news and notes here uh first is one one of the uh second string running backs uh appears to have silently opted out uh deshaun Collins, he doesn't appear on the 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 roster that Cal posted uh, about a week ago. They brought in a transfer from Wisconsin, a grad transfer, Bradrick Shaw, who, as it happens, I did a bunch of film study on Wisconsin last year because Oregon played him in the Rose Bowl. Um, Shaw's a pretty damn good back. He's in the same style as Brown, and so um, you know he just you know he's behind Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> like you just didn't see him that much. But even when you did see him, he has like 202 career carries, nearly a thousand career yards. Like that's a hard running back. Um, so, uh, you know, having a one, two, three punch of Brown, Shaw and Dancy, first of all, I think it means Chris, you're probably not going to see Chris Street. Um, but like that's what that looks like to me is you've got three bruisers, three pretty experienced guys. And I think Rob is right. I think the smartest way to run this offense, which I can't predict if they're going to be smart or not. Uh, but I think the smartest way to run this offense would probably just be pound it, pound it, pound it over and over and over again. Maybe, you know, do some play action over the top of it. Um and and take some of the pressure off of Garbers to always be having to make the play because um, uh, I just think way too much was put on his shoulders last year. Um, 
regarding the uh, wide receivers. Um, you're right. There's about four guys who come back with, you know, with some yards under their belt. Um, the the guy you didn't mention was uh, Trevon Clark. He and um, Kakoa Crawford are both uh, transfers out. After a fashion, they both went to Juco for a bit um, and they were brought in because their speed uh, is really uh, was their calling card. I watched them on film. They're just not that fast. Um, I mean, it's really the problem with all uh, Cal's wide receivers. You're just not seeing separation like at all. Um, and, and, you know, it's part of the reason why why, you know, you have to sort of take some of Garber's numbers, including his sack numbers with a bit of a grain in salt like who the hell is he going to throw it to? None of these dudes are open. I mean, that's what Oregon was doing against them all night was playing cover one, you know, and just like, no, you know, it was modster, not Garbers in that game. But nonetheless, like there was no way you were going to hit any of those dudes and in any team in this league, there's not that many of them, but any team in this league that can play man, you know, will lock down this wide receiver group. They brought in two guys, uh, Rob Wang, again, the guy we talked to from uh, right for California pointed out two true, true freshmen that they brought in um, Hunter and Baker Um uh, who they're, I think they're both three stars. Uh, they're again, you know, they're brought in because they look real fast on film. It will remain to be seen if they are faster than these guys, which like, I think Rob might be faster than these guys. It's got uh, long legs, you know, Tall it's, guy. <laughs> it's entirely possible that they win spots as true freshmen. So just something to watch out for, I think. Um, and then the third sort of bit of news and notes is that the, the four star that they got in their 2020 class. And they were talking about playing as a true freshman is a tight end named DJ Rogers. They don't really have any pass catching tight ends. DJ Rogers was going to be their pass catching tight end. Um, but he was part of that East Lake Catholic uh, scandal up in Seattle. If you remember that, and he has uh, asked for a release from the team. So he would be part of the team. And that's another like big problem to their potential, uh, not just of having a good passing game, but you know, you know, Bill Musgrave likes tight ends in the passing game. And, and I don't think they're going to have that really much of an option there either. So, you know, to get passes out, they're going to have to rely on a wide receiver receiver core i'm not real impressed with this wide receiver core that's a problem yeah and we, we talked last uh, podcast about programs that can't afford to miss on those four star guys and uh, that just sounds like a devastate like i know it's a freshman i know it's a tight end i know but like i, I listened to that podcast and listening to rob other rob <laughs> talk about um how excited they were about him uh, that that is a bummer and it certainly could be a setback for that offense all that said i think there are some bright spots here on the offense uh, particularly everything's relative in light of the defense because we flip over the defensive side and i think a lot of listeners that maybe didn't watch a lot of cal football they thought about the defense um because i think they were kind of looking back from a few years ago when this defense was awesome it was pretty good like you mentioned rob i think top 40 uh, but they lose a ton of pieces and let's start with the front seven here, Hithliday, uh, because I am not as bullish on, and we talked about this all last year, you could run on this Cal team, particularly up the middle, and now they don't have Evan Weaver to run around to clean up any mess that they have there. What do you think about this front seven? I think it has pieces that are pretty good. I don't think it's a complete front seven. Um, the Let's start with the big problem that they had. In 2018, one of the reasons why they had a really excellent defense that nobody saw coming was a dude named Chris Palmer, who was their nose guard. He was like a two-star guy. No one paid attention to him, but I can tell you from watching film, like he was absolutely crucial to their defensive structure and just, you know, two gap in it to hold everything up the middle. And when he left at the end of 2018, they had a couple of options to replace him, but between injury and you know whatever other problems that they were having like they 
they just didn't. They were end up having to play ends over tackles and tackles, you know, in the middle, and it just wasn't happening. Like at one point, it knows they were playing a true freshman named Brett Johnson, um, which is, you know, Brett Johnson is fine as a defensive end. I actually think he's got a, a lot of upside, but like you can't put that dude in the middle. Like that that doesn't work in a three down lineman front. The pro- the problem that they've got, they are apparently getting one of the guys they had tagged as being the replacement nose tackle um, back from injury. His name's Aaron Maldonado, but he's slim down he's 285 now i don't know if that's enough mass on the other hand they have two true freshmen ricky correa or two guys who came in the 2020 class anyway ricky correa and stanley mckenzie who are both over 300 pounds that's probably actually question number one i'm going to be watching for cal's defense is like can is one of those guys big enough and 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 you know because they've got an experienced guy who's not big enough and they've got inexperienced guys who are you know, who knows whether or not that's bad weight or not. Uh, you know, we're going to have to wait and see on that question. Other pieces that they have and that they're returning. I mentioned Brett Johnson. I like him. I like Zendaya Johnson as well. Um, they're, they're missing a couple of pieces. Uh, Tevin Paul was, a uh, uh, silently apted out, uh, Luke Paquette, uh, transferred, um, and, uh, uh, they lost a, you know, a few other guys, uh, just to the, the old fashioned way to graduation. Um, they they lost uh, Ben Hawk Schreider and Lonnie Toyaloa. Um, somebody else that I'm forgetting. Uh, a couple of uh, outside linebackers who play up on the line in Cal system as well. Um, and uh, and so you know, like I said, I I think they have uh, pieces. I don't think they have the 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 whole package and I definitely want to look uh, to see how they're configuring their two deep in the defensive front because there's a it requires them filling in some blanks and I don't know how they're going to fill in those blanks. I will be curious to see. Yeah. Rob, like just the, the opting out of Luke Paquette, I think is devastating for them. Uh, Already you can run up the middle on this team. And now, you know, you have basically your defensive tackle take off and being replaced by an undersized, although at like athletic and interesting and a player that has a lot of pedigree, like Hithliday mentioned and Brett Johnson, uh, who is a blue chip kid. But at the end of the day, this line, it, it likely will be a mess. And, um, and we don't, again, you don't have Weaver backing you up. I, and Hithliday, I'm going to leave the Cooney dang <laughs> talk to you because I think you do a really good job of highlighting how he was out of position and just some of the issues that come with that. But Rob, like we, again, we, you could run on this Cal team and now that front seven gets significantly weaker. I think this is a team that's going to give up a lot of yards and a lot of, a lot of fields and just isn't going to have a very efficient defense. Yeah. I mean, they, they finished out number 35 in beta rank last season, but they where they really hurt. Whereas at, you know, number 51 an effective rush, they dropped to one of the, you know, a, a pretty bad grade for a power five defense against the run, um, you know, 29 an effective pass, but I think you really have to grade out like the the front seven also wasn't as good as they had been the year before in getting pressure and really helping out their secondary. So I uh, I really do have questions. I mean, you could run on Cal A and B gap, um, you know, last season, and then because of some positioning issues, you know, outside too, you know, Weaver was there to at least clean up up the middle after you know they had gained a couple of yards, but they uh, they really did struggle on some of their outside, you know, you know uh, when teams ran outside of them on them as well. Um, I just, I, I'm not convinced that they have, you know, the solution on hand, um, there. And that's a tough one in this system because you really do need someone up the middle that can play two gap and they, you know, if you don't have that and you continue to stick to the system, uh, you're going to, you're going to get hurt. Um, and I, that's, that's just, I, I guess that's my, my two cents on it. I just, I agree. Like it's, uh, 
it, I have real questions about where this team's going to be. And like you said, like especially with that Weaver there for Cal, it might be a safety coming in to make all of Weaver's tackles this year instead of a linebacker. Yeah, that's the other thing that needs to be said is that <clears throat> Weaver and his partner the year before in 2018, Jordan Kanashik, um, those two inside linebackers covered up a lot of problems with the defensive line. Um, you know, and, and there's a reason why those guys had to, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of tackles in their careers because a lot of stuff was getting through the line and they were, you know, they were sort of solving those problems. Well, Kanashik left at the end of 2018. Weaver's left at the end of 2019 and the guys they have replacing them inside linebacker, I think are really problematic. They coined Dang, you mentioned he's a, uh, he was a Juco transfer. He was the uh, number one Juco uh, in the 2019 class. Uh, he actually went to independence community college and can be briefly seen in that season of uh, last chance. You only pretty smartly stayed away from the camera. Um, he is built like an outside linebacker. If you look at him, you would never guess that he would play inside linebacker. And that's because he never had before he got to Cal. I do not know why they are playing him at that position. He is, he's out of position on almost every snap. Like it's crazy. I've, I don't think I've ever watched a major college football team playing inside linebacker who, who, who knows what he, he's doing uh, that little uh it's really problematic and then the other problems they need too and i don't know who the second is going to be probably evan tattersall um but you know here's the thing is kanashik and weaver played every snap like well into garbage time he basically got like no time uh, or anybody else you know in their inside linebacker roster so you know we have no idea what to think of him and he, he has no experience and and the other thing is that there's just not a lot of talent on cal's defense like i said you know we're we're talking about mid to low three stars at just about every position. Um, and, and like they're, you know, on paper, most talented guys, dang. And I think he's playing out of position. So, you know, that, that sort of like safety net that they've had for the last two years, which I, in, in my opinion, you know, Kanasha and Weaver really propping up that defense, um, or, or at least the front half of the defense. The, the defensive backs are legit. We'll get to them in a minute. Um, but the front half of the defense, I really think we're being propped up by two inside linebackers who are not there anymore, and I do not relish their prospects at all. I, you know, SMB Plus was even more negative on on Cal's defense in 2019 than than Beta Rank was. They had him at number 46. I, I could see him sliding into the 60s or even 70s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it could be that bad. And again, if you're a Cal fan, you're like, but. Dang, Dang had 119 tackles. Like, if he's out of position and he's getting stuff behind him or to the side of him, it's not as effective as Evan Weaver. So please do not put him in the same uh, category. He's pretty good at producing havoc. I should say that about him. Like, when he gets through the line on blitzes, like, you know, he produced, like, I think eight or nine tackles for loss. I think he got three sacks on the year. Like, you know, he's got these real long spidery arms. And if he, you know, gets a, a finger on you, he is going to bring you down like that. It's useful to have that kind of havoc player. But in terms of the way the Cal's defense is structured is like a big hitter run stopper, uh, you know, kind of guy like, mm -mm. That's yeah. Not him. Yeah. Also, eight pass breakups, five quarterback hurries. So I want to give a quick shout out to Cameron Good, who also had impressive havoc stats: eight, uh, fourteen tackles for a loss, almost ten sacks, six quarterback hurries. So they do have uh, a way to put pressure yeah, on the quarterback. Good is good. No, no pun intended. Like I, I, we're remiss if we don't mention him. And he was like a low three star too. That guy's playing out of his mind. He's probably the the best on the entire team in terms of like playing above his talent level. I, I like good. It's just in, in the structure of their defense. He's less critical than the inside linebackers. Um, cause 
you know, stuff isn't going his way on every play. Yeah. Flipping over to the secondary here. Good news for Cal. Uh, Cam Bynum returns. He had initially opted out to go play for the uh, NFL. Somebody in the NFL uh, would have likely gotten drafted. He returns. So does Elijah Hicks, a sophomore that plays there, plays as a true sophomore. They also have a Chigozi. Uh, oh, man. I'm, and I apologize. But they got a blue chip corner from 2018. So there are some pieces there on the cornerback front, Rob. Uh, a lot of the safeties leave. Ashton Davis, Jalen Hawkins is gone. Uh, uh, Trevon Black, who is their nickel uh, back, is gone. But I think there's still some pieces here that could be interesting. What do you think about the secondary for Cal? Yeah, I really like the secondary. I thought that they were they were you know particularly that they were well coached. Um, they were often you know in good position. Um, and they you know like I said, like I don't think they were helped out as much by the pass rush as they had been the year before, um, and were often left you know in coverage a little too long uh, last year. I I think if if I was going to call out and I mean, we might as well get into some of the concerns here. I mean, all those play, like I, I think Cal will be fine. I think even with, you know, it's sort of like the offensive line. I don't love the McClure hire. I don't expect him to start causing havoc with the current set of players yet. I don't love the Yates hire replacing Alexander, who was a terrific coach who's now off to the NFL. Um, I know this is crazy. They replaced Greatwood with McClure and they replaced Gerald Alexander with Marcel Yates. Like those are probably the two biggest coaching downgrades in the league. Yeah, it's uh, well, I mean, but there may be because now Peter Sermon's also going to that. Oh, man. So like I I, I mean, if you were going to say like, again, like the strength of this Cal defense should be at the secondary. Alexander's a good coach. These guys played under him like they should be in a good spot, good position. Like the actual structure, of course, this is still Wilcox's defense. Like the, you know, the, the, the scheme isn't going to change. So these guys should know where they need to be and be able to play, you know. But I just, you know. Yates wasn't a great hire. I don't think it, you know, bodes well for the long term. Um, I also wouldn't project them necessarily to improve off of where they were last year, you know, a bit as a result. Yeah, it should be mentioned the Hicks played uh, cornerback last year, but they have moved him over to safety. Um, and so it will probably be Bynum and uh, Chigozi Anusium. Uh, I, I think Thank his you. first name is harder than his last name. I don't know why you balked. Um <laughs> I think it'll be Bynum and Anusium, the backup corner on the outside. I wasn't wild about Anusium. I mean, he's a downgrade from Hicks. There's no way to to get around it. Um, so we'll have to see. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think he goes from having a good DBs coach to having a not good DBs coach. So, you know, we'll see how that, you know, plays in his development. Um Hicks, of course, is uh, you know is now starting safety. Yeah, I think he will be fine there. Um, he's he's big enough to play safety. You know, sometimes when corners switch to safeties, you're like, but that he was a tiny little cornerback running around. But he's you know five eleven, two hundred pounds. That's fine. Um, you know, the question mark is how the other two safeties get filled in because they lose. You know, they lost all three of their starting safeties. They bring back one of the backups who um, got a lot of rotational play last year, Josh D- Josh Drayden, who I thought was fine. Like, but there's a reason why he wasn't the starter. But then, you know, then that's sort of the problem is the rest of these guys really have very little experience. Um, you know, Daniel Scott, Craig Woodson. Um, uh, uh, Brandon Smith, like they're, you know, they had an excellent defensive backcourt in both 2018 and 2019 that in, 2018 was why they had a top 15 defense and 2019 was why they didn't completely fall off um, despite, you know, all the losses up front, which were significant. Um, I, 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 I think they're 
further falling off. Like, I think the trajectory of this team from 2018 will continue downward and, and some of the losses on defensive back, although not, you know, tragic are still significant enough that like, I have a hard time. I mean, I certainly have a very hard time seeing them getting better. Uh, I think it's more likely that they get worse than they get better. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's an interesting team uh, to watch and keep an eye on, but definitely a fall on the defense, probably a bump on the offense, but um, interested to see what type of offense they actually run and uh, just an intriguing team overall. So we, we did 40 minutes on Cal, which I think is a good, a good enough time. Cause I think that's the, can most we in- take five minutes to talk about Sermon? Because I just, <laughs> I mean, like, you, like, you get two. Let's do two. We, of we, the top guys at Cal are former Oregon players, right? Wilcox and um, Musgrave and Sermon are all the former Oregon. Uh, uh, Musgrave is a quarterback, and Wilcox and and Sermon were DBs. So, like, yeah, the Oregon <laughs> connection. No, but you hit the nail on the head, Hippolyte. Like, it just—it actually feels like Wilcox. Like earlier when you were talking about sort of some of the interference maybe that Bo Baldwin was, you know, like some of those maybe have been Wilcox's decisions. It just feels like he's really overmanaged this into a kind of a corner, um, you know, that like, you know, removing DeRoyter and putting Sermon. In, like it's like Sermon, like Mississippi State, the year before he took over was at 33. His year, they were at 82. Louisville, yeah. the year before he took over, they were at 17. The year, his year, they were 51. Yeah, and in both places, like he was barely ahead of the pitchforks and torches from the villagers. Oh, yeah. Like they ran him out of Starkville and Louisville on a rail. Uh, I don't really understand. You know, we've we've now talked to several different. I think you got to write into one of your podcast episodes from a Cal fan who's like, oh, yeah. no, no, there's some some fancy politics going on. I just I don't buy it. I actually think the way that you phrased it, Rob, was was spot on. I think there's some over management here from Wilcox. Like. Uh, um, well, I guess I forget he's sort of a new head coach. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I still kind of think the jury's out on the guy. You know, he he has a reputation as a, as a good defensive coordinator, and it's true. You know, he's been coaching for I think fourteen years as a defensive coordinator or as a head coach, and like, and like five of those times he has a top fifteen defense, which is like that's awesome. On the other hand, there's another five times where he has a defense that's, you know, in the forties or worse. Um, I, I really sort of think he's, he's, he's dependent on the town, uh, on the players that he has. Um, and I, I'm not in love with the players that he has at Cal. And, and, and so I sort of think, you know, as a young head coach, he might manage himself into a, a problem. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Um, Let's go to Stanford, but let's do what we have. We have a couple a couple things to say. We have a, a quick break. Um, but we also have to talk about my bookie, who has sponsored the podcast for a really long time. Between the NFL, college ball, and the major league playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch. And with thousands of games available at all times, your favorite sports and events are all on my bookie. You want a payday? If you're the type of guy that likes to bet on the favorites, consider putting a little sleazy parlezy out there to get a bigger payout. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value. We like to bet the dogs here at 12-pack radio. And the thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really the dogs on Sunday. Any team can win and cash in if you're picking the right ones. And you can do that at my bookie. Game spreads, championship futures, prop bets, you name it, they have it. And if you sign up right now at my bookie, you can use the promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand dollars it's a legit deal uh, bonus designed to give you a little help a little head start here in the winning season that's the promo code 
overtime to claim your bonus a dollar for dollar match up to a thousand dollars stacked ufc cards presidential prop bets any sports out there you have it at my bookie they sponsor the podcast we've used the promo before personally uh definitely go there and use the promo code overtime all right one more break and then we'll be back Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back. We're talking Stanford. No Peter Sermon for Stanford, Rob. Uh, but, but we, but, but still a mess nonetheless. Yeah, it's like ten Peter Sermons for Stanford. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about uh, Stanford here, Rob, as we head into the season. Oh boy, did Stanford fall off the map last year? So Stanford finished out last year at seventy five in Beta Rank, easily David Shaw's worst year. The offense finished out at sixty five. Uh, the defense finished out at 81. Um, the offense was better throwing the ball than running the ball. 25 an effective pass, 115 an effective rush, uh, but really stunk at drive efficiency. Could not put together long drives. Um, the defense really, you know, not much of a split. They just they were bad against the run. They were bad against the pass. 73 an effective rush, 86 an effective pass. Uh, really, uh, not a lot to hang your hat on. They uh, they do. They don't, they, they do actually, it, it appears, and I, I find this odd because of all the transfers out, but Sanford does have a decent amount of returning production according to Bill Connolly's numbers. Um, so they have 71% of their production returning on offense, um, you know, 74% returning on the defensive side of the ball, um, and still in their two year rolling recruiting ranking, finishing at 18. But uh, Stanford, uh, has all the way down. This is the first year I've included something called coaching and development, which tries to account for um, sort of how, you know, which teams are sort of outperforming their fundamentals. Uh, Stanford has been steadily falling in this metric uh, as, as I've rolled it out over, you know, looked at the past, uh, you know, it's it over time. Um, and in particular, Stanford is like, has become one of the worst teams in the country for actually developing talent. That's gross. Uh, and yeah. We, and- <laughs> And we live in a world where a bad offense is outperforming the defense, which is just it, like everything is topsy turvy in Palo Alto. Uh, Hitler, I guess we should start with the the quarterback, right? They ran out uh, Kevin. Cast- uh, oh my gosh, who they run over at Mississippi State? KJ Costello. KJ Costello, thank you. Uh, they bring in Davis Mills, the number one pro quarterback of 2017. He had uh, 2,000 yards, 65% completion rate, uh, eight yards per pass, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions. So he was interesting. Um, he actually also had some pieces to throw to, and we can get into that. Um, but I think I, I think the story here, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, take it in any direction you want, I think is actually the offensive line uh, that continues to be a disappointment, even though they actually have some interesting pieces at the skill positions, uh, Hithlade. Yeah, you know, this is an it's an interesting comparison. The team that actually uh Stanford's roster heat map looks the most like is USC. Um and actually surprisingly enough like ASU. Um in that they've got a lot of talent at the quarterback. They've got a lot of frontline talent at uh the wide receivers. Um they ain't got no tight ends and they don't really use them effectively. Uh and their offensive line's real shaky. 
Um, and USC, you know, ha- has the best coordinator for for an offensive talent profile that looks like that because they, you know, have a quasi air raid going on right there where the ball gets out of the quarterback's hands real fast, really great wide receivers. And it doesn't really matter that the offensive line stinks because, uh, you know, he's throwing the ball away so quick. Um, ASU remains to be seen, as we talked about last time, uh, you know, how Zach Hill is going to be at that team. Stanford, we know what they're going to do. They're going to do the wrong thing for that talent <laughs> profile. Uh, you know, they're going to they're going to assume that they have a better offensive line that they do and try to pound the rock, uh, you know, and 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 wait to throw the ball um, when they should be just dumping it off to a, an actually pretty good group of wide receivers. Um, I, don't, I don't really have any complaint. You know, I watched their wide receivers quite. I watched this entire team quite a bit. I was one of the first people in the country to try to, you know, sound the alarm in 2018 on how bad Stanford was. I, I'm glad the rest of the country is caught up with me. Um, and I have criticism for just about every, you know, position group here, except for the wide receivers. I think the wide receivers are pretty good. Um, the, you know, the problem is they're sort of misused and the, you know, it's the wrong scheme for them. Um, and I doubt that, that David Shaw is going to wind up changing that scheme because he's David Shaw. I mean, he's to the, He's a very conservative head coach, and you know he he likes his identity. Um, I think that Mills is a fine quarterback. He's a, he was as I tallied them out. I wound up uh, tallying about the same number of games for Costello as for uh, for Mills. Uh, Mills grades out more, <clears throat> excuse me, efficiently on my tally sheet, uh, largely because he's willing to try intermediate routes. Um, Costello was thrown it short a whole lot. Um, uh, on the other hand, like uh, I think that Mills is somewhat of a now he was young, so take this with a grain of salt. He might grow out of it, but he was a downgrade in terms of pocket presence. Um, like he would really panic under pressure, whereas Costello, uh, you know, actually handled it okay in 2019. He wasn't good in 2018, but he was actually pretty okay at it in 2019. Mills, on the other hand, like would really panic a lot. Uh, and the other problem is that he's a big downgrade in the the managing the running game because he is he mishandles the ball a lot. Um, uh, you know, and the ultimate output of that was that his, um, broken play, broken drop back rate, you know, sack scrambles and throwaways per drop back was double that of KJ Costello. Again, he's young. He might grow out of that. He was, you know, highly rated, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that one, but you know, all else being held equal, I would not expect, a huge upgrade over in performance over Costello. I think they're pretty much going to get a, a similar performance. Maybe by 2021, he accelerates to, to overtake him. But um, I, I think you're probably going to see pretty much the same thing as you saw in 2019. He has some interesting pieces to throw to. I really liked Michael Wilson, who put together a really solid year, 670 yards, uh, 12 yards per catch, five touchdowns. He had some pedigree, a four-star kid. Simi Fahoko kind of came out of nowhere um, and, and really was... Fahoko was the weirdest wide <laughs> receiver in the pack 12 man, yeah. because like he started out where he couldn't he was a total non-factor and then there's like three games in which he like takes over the game and gets all of his catches and then he disappears again i i don't know i don't, I don't know which the is the real fahoko uh to tell you the truth um if they can get you know the good version of him to play all the time uh yeah definitely he's one of the best wide receivers in the league he just hasn't shown it yeah once again big bodies right Fahoko 6'4 225 pounds average 24 yards per catch and I watched basically all of those receptions that he had and they were big plays <laughs> that he was able to get um and you're right he, he like had some big games and then kind of disappeared but he also had other pieces Connor Weddington has finally come into his own he came with some pedigree over to Stanford so you got like three guys above 6'2 so, oh Cyrus St. Brown's still there and if you were to 
have told me, um, you know, two years ago, oh, Cyrus St. Brown is going to be like the third or fourth best wide receiver or most productive wide receiver on the Stanford program. I would have thought that that was pretty crazy, but like he's still on there. Um, John Humphreys is a four-star player that comes in. Elijah Higgins is another guy that comes in, both top 25 wide receivers. I doubt that they see the field because there's a lot of talent in front of them. They still have Scooter Harrington. I want to talk a little bit about the tight ends there because that, you know, you mentioned that they, they um, haven't been using the tight ends and you're right. Like this was a, it was a topsy turvy last couple of years for uh, Stanford, particularly last year. Well, I mean, in this is probably the end of an era in that as long as I can remember David Shaw being there, they always had dominant tight end play, um, especially dominant in the passing game because uh, they were just huge and they catch these lob passes. And if you were an Oregon fan, you just were like, no, no, not again. Um, in the second half of 2018, when it was clear that their offensive line was really malfunctioning, they discovered that they had undefendable wide receivers, a couple of whom were tight ends um, and a couple of whom were like J.J. Arcega. White side wide receivers. Um, and uh, in 2019, they only had one remnant of that undefendable, you know, basketball inbound pass uh, passing game, which is Colby uh, Parkinson. He has left for the NFL. He leaves behind um, nobody. Scooter Harrington is the closest thing. Um, but I, I just, you know, I didn't see it out of him. He's simply not as talented and uh, I don't really think he has a you know the same kind of connection with Davis Mills that Kiji Costello had with Colby Parkinson and some of his other tight ends I suspect and the reason why I interrupted you to talk about Fahoko because I think he actually is a pretty big determinant of how this offense goes down is that the way that Stanford's offense operates is they need a go-to receiver and traditionally it has been their giant undefendable tight end and I don't think that's going to be Scooter Harrington I think uh, I think it will be Simi Fahoko if it's anybody. And so whether he's good or bad, I, I actually think is maybe one of the key determining questions for this offense. Yeah, so we've gone through a lot of the you know weapons that they have through the air. And looking at the running back position, um, you know, they lose Cameron Scarlett, whatever. Austin Jones returns, Dorian Maddox, Nathaniel Pete, and, and like they also have some really solid players. Like Austin Jones was a top five running back in 2019. Nathaniel Pete was a top ten running back in 2019. They both come back. They have the number three all-purpose back in EJ Smith. Uh, they have an, a top fifteen all-purpose back in Casey uh, Filkins. But at the end of the day, Rob, can they can they run block? Uh, and Walker Little's gone, transfer. by the way. Yeah, you just you just listed three dudes who should transfer. Right the like, program. <laughs> they should transfer immediately. Like go. I mean, you want to be the feature back at some place they can run the ball. Go to the Navy. I mean, do not, do not sit around. I mean, is, I mean, I don't know. And we have definitely harped on USC's offensive line coaching relative to the talent. But relative to the talent they brought in, like Kevin Carberry, is one of the worst offensive line coaches in the Pac-12. Um, and they have, since Mike Bloomgren went off to be the head coach at Rice, um, you know, they were able to patch it together, you know, with, uh, you know, Costello, they turned into more of a, you know, a, a pass first offense, but you know, they're, I, they're really, the, they went off the rails last year. Yeah, sure. I mean, I like a lot of the talent they're bringing at running back. I, I mean, their offensive line pro football focus had them graded out at 85 last year. And I don't think they're getting bad. I mean, I, I don't think that there's any you should have no expectations that this line is going to turn it around and be better, you know, and Walker little's gone. Right. I mean, like there's, I just, I'm not buying it. Like, I, I think that they, I think that they really struggle to run the football again. 
Um, and I think if you're a back in the Stanford offense, you either need to be, you know, a Zach Moss type that can break tackles um, and get yards after contact, uh, or you need to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield if you're, if you're going to want to, uh, you know, really be a significant part of the offense. I, I like Austin Jones a lot. Um, the when we saw him in, in limited time in 2019, he was young, um, but like I sort of think he is the sort of ideal running back uh, in that you know he's. He's shifty enough to dodge tacklers and he's going to have to be with this offensive line, but also he's, you know, big enough to run um, and, you know, pretty, pretty good top end speed. Like, I think they'll be fine there. The reason why I think everybody else who's got some talent in this running back room ought to transfer out is the, just the nature of Stanford's offense is they stick with their a back, you know, every snap, you know, they, they don't have, there is no reason for Stanford to have six, four star running backs. Like they should have two. When we talk about who's going to block for them, um, you know, we just mentioned Walker Little's gone. Uh, they returned Drew Dahlman, Foster Sarrell. Um, the one thing, and there is a there is a significant downside to this offensive line. I am not making a positive argument. The one thing I wanted to highlight, though, was the talent that they've brought in. They have still recruited fairly well at the offensive line. So they bring in the number two center of 2019, the top 40 center of 2019, or I'm sorry, top 40 tackle, uh, a top five tackle, a five five-star kid named Miles Hinton out of the 2020 class, and then three other players that were all four- to five-star uh, tackles and guards in the 2020 class. It's a young group that that does have significant pedigree to it, uh, Hithliday. Does that give you any hope in terms of filling some of these holes that we saw in terms of just an inability to run block and, uh, and even keep Costello on his feet sometimes? Uh, no. I mean, I, I totally agree with Rob. I, I think that this offensive line – well, in particular, the coaching situation is really bad. There's also there's also a weird situation with injuries. I mean, they were super injured last year. Um, you know, it's kind of weird because for a long time, Stanford was basically injury proof. Um, and then under circumstances that no one has ever explained, their longtime strength and conditioning coach, Shannon Turley, uh, left. And, you know, what's whatever has replaced him is like, I don't know if it's karma or what, but it's like they're paying back for all the injuries they missed over the previous six years because, you know, they've been injured to hell. Um, so that is part of the problem. And part of the upside with Stanford's offensive line is those injuries meant a lot of dudes playing, um, you know, minutes that they otherwise wouldn't. But you had a lot of guys transferring out. Um, you mentioned Drew Dahlman. He's the center. Uh, I actually think he's the most competent, you know, guy in the line. I, I think he's probably one of the top three uh, centers in the league. Um, I think they're fine there, which also sort of means that, you know, bringing in a four-star center behind him is not particularly relevant for 2020. Uh, Foster Sorrell is the five-star right tackle. I've never been impressed with him. He's pretty close to being a bust uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Branson Bragg got some play last year. He was a highly rated guy. You know, he was playing as a freshman. I think it's a little too early to judge him, but like he wasn't lighting the world on fire. Like he wasn't Panay Sewell as a freshman. I'll just put it that way. Um, and then the rest of the line, you were right. They brought in some freshmen who are impressive, like Hinton. Um, uh, and Levi Rogers was a four star and Drake Mad Metcalf was a four star. All those guys are 2020s. The guys who they are actually going to be playing due to really funky recruiting are probably going to be the 2017 guys. You know, you're talking about, uh, and, or excuse me, the 2019 guys where you're talking about Rouse and Miller and Hornibrook, um, who all played last year, who are three stars and are playing under their talent ceiling and they have a lower talent ceiling. So yeah, I, I think they're in trouble with the offensive line. I mean, it's been their problem for at least 
the last two years, arguably 2017 too, and that Bryce Love, the good version of Bryce Love in 2017, maybe covered up, uh, uh, you know, a, a defense or an offensive line that was uh, on the decline even earlier, sort of in the past. But uh, I, I, yeah, I, I just don't think the direction of this group is good. Even though you're right, there's some 2020 talent that came in. Rob, well, one last thing on the offense, because if you take a look at the pieces, right, return their quarterback, return a really solid running back and some people behind them that, that we would anticipate being pretty solid. They have good wide receivers. There is a world, and I think Max would make this argument, I'm making it for Max here, where the offensive line uh, punches above its weight, but not not like an elite unit, but not a devastating <laughs> unit like it's been the last couple of years. And all of a sudden you have a Stanford offense that can move move the ball and, and actually be kind of effective, similar to what they did, I think it was in 2018 when they decided, oh, let's do an air raid. Now I'm not saying they're gonna do an air raid, but like they could they there is a world where the offense starts to put their act together and it again becomes the strength of the team. Uh, and maybe not at the strength of a team at like a 70 <laughs> You know, 70th or 65th or whatever they were last year in beta rank. But, you know, they jump up to like 40th or 30th. And um, am I is that a crazy, uh, you know, uh, am I being crazy for mentioning that that's a possibility? What do you think before we move on to the defense here? No, I mean, I think there are some things that Stanford does offensively that are interesting schematically. And it would work a lot better if the offensive line wasn't a disaster. <laughs> I mean, but there are also... I mean, we and and I, you know, Hifflede, I know you've seen this on on film too. And you know that there are some, there are plenty of teams out there that don't always get great line play, but can still put together pretty good offenses, right? Like they scheme around it. You know, Stanford has very much been unable to do that, um, and part of it's been that it's there's not really a phase that they're particularly good in. Um, and then they also don't, I mean, you know, if Mills holds the ball, like there, you could really be in trouble with this line. Um, I mean, yes, if the line bounces back and even is power five average next season, I mean, Stanford's in a much better place. I mean, we're not talking an elite offense again, but they're in a much better place, but that's a big if also, I mean, some of what made Stanford interesting and difficult from a schematic standpoint was that they were, they had the tight ends to, really create mismatches you know like if you're running four verts and you have tight ends that can can do interesting things in the seams um and you know the the uh, you know the opposing defense has linebackers on them which really you know you know, are, you know your average college linebacker is not going to be you know doing a, a particularly good job guarding one of those you know early stanford uh, you know those early round picks that stanford had at tight end i i don't know that they have that as much coming into this year either so that that schematic advantage that Stanford has been able to play on, I think, really effectively isn't necessarily going to be there this season. I just I, I have a hard time with the kind of regression they've had. It's sort of a, a couple years ago. When was it coming into the season where like Khalil Tate covered up everything that was wrong with Arizona? Mm-hmm. Bill Bill Connolly had written like Arizona looks like it's on like heading into like the program collapse. And, and really, yeah. if you looked at the roster, that was that was totally accurate. I don't know that Stanford like like Stanford's fall off last year. It's going to be really hard to come back from where they ended up. Yeah, I, I I like the way that you're framing it because you know the number one thing they need to overcome is poor offensive line play, but the number two thing they need to overcome is David Shaw. Yeah. Um, 
you know, uh, which is not to say, you know, some people have suggested, oh, well, the, the football world has passed David Shaw's offense by and it can simply never be effective. I disagree with that. I think the football is cyclical. And I think that, you know, it, any offense that you have the right talent for is effective. There's no such thing as an obsolete offense, in my opinion. Even the wing tee would be effective if you had the right dudes for it. I I first and foremost think they are not going to get the offensive line play that David Shaw wants. I think while it's true that they have good wide receivers, they're not they're not the right kind of good wide receivers that would allow them to transition into that second half of 2018 undefendable basketball pass offense. The reason why David Shaw begrudgingly switched his offense to be able to, to do that because that was always sort of part of Stanford's offense, you know, during their real run, you know, the 2011 to 2016 run. Um, what, you know, and he simply emphasized that more, uh, but it was already part of the offense. The, the version of this offense that would be good given the talent that they actually have. I know I said this to start, but I'm going to repeat myself a little bit here. The the talent that they actually have, which is probably a malfunctioning offensive line, good receivers on the outside, no tight ends, uh, and a quarterback who can distribute fairly well. The, the version of that that works is USC's offense. David Shaw should drive down to Los Angeles and kidnap Graham Harrell and force him to be the offensive coordinator for Stanford. They would probably have a pretty similar and a similarly effective offense as USC did in 2019 if he did that. But it's David Shaw. He is never going to do that. He is going to run the offense that assumes much better offensive line play than he has and much better tight ends than he has, and I don't think it's going to work. I don't think that Stanford's coming back until they clean house in the coaching staff, and I don't think they're going to do that either. All right, let's flip over to the defense because I think that's really the interesting story for Wazoo, particularly the downfall that happened last year. But let's do that right after this. All right, we're back. We're talking Stanford's defense. And Rob, you want to go front seven? You want to go secondary? You you have the, the calling shots right now. What do you want? Uh, let's, do, let's do the front seven because, I mean, it goes back to um, really, I mean, what was it, like 2014, 2015 when their defensive line coach retired? 2015, um, Randy Hart retired at the end yeah. of 2015, a longtime defensive line coach, excellent, and he was coaching under Don James for a long time, so you know it's difficult for an Oregon fan to admit that, but I really think he was one of the best defensive line coaches in the Pac-10, Pac-12 has ever seen, and uh, and you're right, Stanford hasn't had a good offensive, or excuse me, defensive line since he retired. Yeah, Rob, they yeah, lose uh, defensive tackle Michael Williams, they lose Javon Swan, they lose Casey Tuhill, um, and a couple of other pieces here. Uh, <laughs> and they just weren't very good last year. So they lose some pieces of, of a unit that, that really was pretty frustrating to watch, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, again, it's difficult to see, you know, the, the Stanford players really not get the development that they, they really deserve, you know, and it, it's a real, I mean, and I, I say this because I think David Shaw is one of the most respected people in coaching, but he's actually, he's actually failing the players. He's recruiting into his program. <laughs> so like they, they like they're just not like Stanford's defensive line. Um, you could run on them. You could throw against this team. They were not effective in getting you know significant pressure on the quarterback. Um, you know, in, in particular, and I just you know they, they really really have struggled. And I don't again like you can we can tell like and and the exodus sort of out of Apollo Alto this year. Like you know even the players that they played a lot last year are, are moving on. And, in some cases, you could say like, oh, well, you know, like they didn't play that great. What are you really losing? But, you know, the staff hasn't shown any real ability to develop talent. So I I mean, I still think Dwayne Aquino is really good on the back end, but I don't think that they've got much 
you know, in the front seven to help him out. The, the, the thing that's weird about Stanford's defensive front is that they are actually pretty good around the edges. Um, I, I I like their ends and I like their OLBs, even with the losses that they had. You know, they, they bring back both of the Fox uh, guys who are not brothers, just weird coincidence, uh, uh, Anderson Jordan. Uh, they bring back Gabe Reed, who's better than his uh, mid uh, three star talent ranking uh i like booker and chaffer um at defensive end um they brought in a couple of uh guys ryan johnson is sort of the biggest mystery of their phenomenal 2017 class he was a four-star who we haven't seen much out of remains to be seen there um josh piccola was a four-star as well um you know around the edges they're just fine the problem is up the middle is a disaster area um as you mentioned they lost both uh swan and williams those were their only defensive tackles i am not kidding they don't have they reclassified a couple of defensive ends into defensive tackles and so if you pull up the oh, roster no. this minute it says they have three defensive tackles those dudes are not defensive tackles uh they blew down wade perry's weight up to 324 this is not going to be good um i very much doubt i mean i haven't seen him yet but i very much doubt that is good weight um that is he did not pack on 30 pounds of muscle in a pandemic off season he packed on 30 pounds of of sandwiches um the and you know i think they're gonna have to be playing people out of position and i haven't even gotten to the other part of the interior of the defense which is their inside linebacker situation they have not recovered from the loss of bobby okariki in 2018 and even bobby okariki was a surprise in more ways than one um and uh you know they they had to replace him they had some injuries which was part of the problem but they've had to play guys out of position curtis robinson um the linebacker and converted safety not the guitar player um uh, is you know he's not you know he's not as bad playing out of position as coin dang is for the team across the bay but nonetheless like he's not the utah converting safeties into inside linebackers either like the guy is just not in position very much they've got a couple of guys who were injured who maybe come back you know jacob mang ferrer and uh, ricky Meason. um we will have to see but they just don't return any experience here uh, or guys who know how to play the position in the middle and like it's necessary in Lance Anderson's defensive structure. Like, and so, you know, if I were an offensive coordinator going up against Stanford, uh, you know, I would just run it up the gut and their first game is against Oregon. Like, Oh no guys. Yeah. You know, Thomas Booker, like you mentioned on the ends, 50 tackles, eight and a half tackles for a loss, four sacks, three pass breakups. I mean, like there, there are some players here and he did play defensive tackle in high school, but that was high school a little while ago. Um, he was good enough to earn Pac-12 honorable mention. Uh, like you meant, Thomas Schaefer returns, uh, Wade Perry. I, Hithliday, I had him as a tackle already. Did they move him over from end? He was, he, he was playing at four eye and they're in a three down structure, which means they're probably moving him to nose. No, sir. <laughs> okay. Um, and then again, like the outside linebackers, like you mentioned, the Fox, the Foxes, you have Gabe Reed, who had a, a pretty decent season, nine tackles for a loss. Um, and I was curious about Robinson because he came into the program as a five-star kid. And um, when I saw that he was seeing the field, I was really interested to see his numbers. But if you're seeing him out of position um, on the inside linebacker. Yeah, he's front, a five-star safety. You know, he's not, he's, you know, in terms of his quality as an inside linebacker, he's a mid three-star. Well, that's fine. Let, let's kick it over to the secondary here because, uh, like you mentioned, Rob, like Dwayne Aquinas is still there, and uh, but Paulso Debo is not. Now, to be frank, 
Debo didn't have like the the truth telling year that we were hoping that he did. He was fine. Uh, he got lit up by I think it was in Central Florida and a couple other teams. Yeah, UCF went right after. <laughs> They're like, all right. Let's oh do no, this. I, I'm going to jump in. I'm sorry. I got to defend my man, Paulson Adebo. Like, I I I think that he is a legit cornerback. He got left out on an island in that game yeah. way too long. Um, that the those clips that went viral were doing him a disservice. He he's going to get drafted. and He deserves to be. The problems on the other side of the cornerbacks were. Where they had Obi Ebo, who was just a disaster, and he has transferred to UCLA. Um, you know the, the 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 but but don't 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 sully the name of Paulson Adebo, man. Like he was legit. <laughs> no, no. Like I was more giving him our time. Obviously, he's going to go in like the first three rounds of the NFL draft, and obviously he's leaving for a reason. Uh, his his uh, departure obviously is a problem for Stanford. Like you mentioned, on the other side was an issue. Now they do bring in some interesting people from the 2020 class, uh, two top 25 corners that were high four star players, but uh, those players don't have a lot of experience. And then Rob, when you take a look now, they do return their their uh, safety. So that's that's important. But, um, you know, losing their top two corners in a secondary that, frankly, was not what we thought it was going to be going into the season last year. No, they were at 86 against the pass last season. And I, I mean, I had I've had some back and forth with some Stanford fans for calling out their defense um, for not being particularly good. Uh, and it, it, it simply pointed out, like they did have some injuries last season for sure. Um, but you know, with the Debo gone, you know, and this, you know, the, the, the real grade that they had, you know, in, in past defense last season, I mean, it really just, I just have a lot of questions. I mean, they haven't, they haven't graded out above. I mean, their best grade since 2015 is at 30 in beta rank in 2016 on overall defense. Um, you know, 81 is far and away their worst year as a defense in a while, but um, you know, even the year before they were only at 39. So like a bounce back from Stanford is to merely being a not great or not very good power five defense. Um, and I, you know, to do that without, you know, really the, the best player that they had on their whole defense without a Debo, it just, I'm not sure that I see it. Um, and, and, you know, there's some decent parts coming back. I think Dwayne Aquino does a good job. I don't, however, think that they get a lot of great pass rush support. Uh, I think, uh, as you mentioned, you know, they, they, they're often left out there on an island. Um, and I don't know that Stanford has right now has the players to do that. This is um, the thing that's really bizarre about Stanford's talent profile is that um, most teams, their offensive and defensive recruiting averages uh, wind up being, you know, pretty close because they just do. Stanford, there's a big discrepancy. Stanford averages uh, better than a four-star on offense, and that's even with the loss of five-star Walker Little. Um, but they're a mid-three-star on defense. They just don't they have not emphasized defensive recruiting. There are a bunch of walk-ons on their two deep, like a ton of them. Um, and you know, why wouldn't you want to walk on at Stanford, I guess, but like they, they just don't have top to bottom talent here on the defense, the way that they, somewhat do uh on the offense and you know what's crazy is the worst defender is the defensive backs group i agree with you the Dwayne aquina like if i was going to salvage any coach on this staff it would be Dwayne aquina but his position group you know has the you know most consistently you know weak and mediocre you know recruiting um they are you know, Noah Williams and J.J. Person both got a sense of play uh, as safeties last year, free safety. Both of those guys are walk-ons. Like, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy. So, you know, ultimately, I agree with what you just said, Rob, that, like, I don't think they have the bodies, even though at the secondary coach, I think you have a decent developer. Like, 
you know, there is a minimum raw threshold in terms of speed that you need to bring to the table to defend high-flying Pac-12 passing attacks, and I don't think it's here, not with the loss of Paulson Adebo. And, you know, they're playing guys who are have some experience, like Hyde Blakely, um, uh, you know, and Malik Antoine at, at, at free safety. But, like, you know, beyond those guys, mm, and I wasn't even wild about those guys. So, Rob, where where does Beta Rank have this defense projected in 2020? <laughs> 64. Oh, like I would take the under, right, on that? Maybe like if it was 80 last year. I mean, right? They have significantly less talent than they did last year, and that was a disaster. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, it, there's just. I mean, I, I mean, I'll just flat out say it. As long as Lance Anderson is your defensive coordinator, you're, you're like the top end of your projection is going to for the Stanford defense should be no higher than you know like 30f 35 the other thing about Stanford is that like I don't know where Lance Anderson's reputation as a great DC comes from because anybody who studies film who is like you know really schematically attuned will tell you like that guy makes mistakes like there are I mean Marcus Arroyo outfoxed him on multiple occasions. You know, uh, it was kind of, you know, in the language of football, Marcus Arroyo was given Lance Anderson the finger, and that guy could not figure out how to adapt to it. And that's Marcus Arroyo. He had the he had the one really good year when Hart was still there, and like it was his first year, and that was it. Oh, there it's you been go. Steadily, steadily downhill since then. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, a question that that answers itself, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's like. If you were gonna, if you were, like, it, it is the, I guess too. I mean, if 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 there is one thing that is is going to be the defining characteristic for David Shaw, it just feels like just stubbornness, obtuse stubbornness. And but you feel like it has percolated through the whole staff. And so I don't know what changes you really feel like is, are going to be coming down that are going to provide significant improvement off last year. Yes, there will be. They're likely to be fewer injuries than they had last year. They also have a far worse two deep than they had last year, right? I mean, when you look at the players that have transferred out, look at the overall recruiting, not having Paulson and Debo. I mean, this this two deep is even if you're like, oh yeah, like they should have better injury luck. Okay, well, you know, it's still a worse two deep to start out with than you had last year. So. And, and I think, I mean, they're still ultimately the fourth most talented team in the Pac-12. And that, you know, I think a really clever and creative and nimble uh, coaching staff could figure out ways to leverage this into, you know, something uh, a lot more productive. You know, clever, creative, and nimble are not words that I would use to describe David Shaw. Well, they did luck out. I want to say, like, they did luck out. And we, we didn't, like, Cal got the short end of the stick in getting ASU on the schedule. Um, yeah, as whereas Stanford gets Colorado. Stanford Although, got honestly, Colorado. Like, I, you know what? I kind of like Colorado in that Oh, game. no, get out of here. Get out of here. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's like, I mean, you could also argue like Colorado also got like the, like a nice draw as opposed to like UCLA and Arizona getting Oregon and Washington. Colorado right. gets Stanford. Been, <laughs> it's weird. That, like the, the Pac-12 appears to it appears that they did a reverse power match and it looks like they got the South uh, order of finish correct. But in the North, they almost got correct because they have, except they have, it looks like they have Stanford as the number three team in the division and Cal is the number five team in the division. I know we just spent a lot of time dumping on Cal, but there is no way that Cal is behind Stanford in actuality. Yeah. And that causes Cal to get Arizona state, uh, you know, no bueno. Uh, but it causes Stanford to get Colorado, which is like, I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm not kidding. <laughs> I think Colorado might beat him. 
No, but like, okay, so taking a look at let's let's compare Cal and Stanford, and then let's wrap it up here. I I just because Stanford has better talent on defense, even though it's a mess. I don't know if they have better coaching uh, on on defense, but like, it's not like. <laughs> It's not like Cal's defense is really just, you know, a murderer's row of coaching. I would, I mean, like, yes, Cal returns their, all of their offensive line, but their offensive line wasn't great last year. Um, And Stanford has more skill all across the board. I just, I would still put Stanford in front of Cal. And like when you're, when we're talking about expectations, right? They have Colorado and Washington State that they could probably knock off. They could could knock off Oregon State. That game is going to be a lot closer um, then I think the the line will put it unless Vegas has, has really caught up to Stanford. Uh, I don't know. I, th- I feel like Stanford, w- with all the dumping that we just did on them, could still could still have an okay season in a in a bizarre COVID year where they go 500 and then like and then David Shaw, like we mentioned, doesn't make any changes after that. I, I could really see a scenario where that happens. Um, I, I just don't think that they're that far behind Cal. I think they're actually ahead of them. And I do think they can knock off some of the teams in the South that frankly don't have the talent. Uh, like Rob, am I, am I crazy to say that? I mean, so it's, you're not, you're not wrong to say that like Stanford could probably, you know, like they definitely got a favorable draw on the schedule. You know, if you're Stanford and let's say, you know, you get, you know, let's say you, I mean, it's for them, it's still going to come down to like where they finish. I think even if Cal loses to ASU, and Stanford beats Colorado, it's still going to come down to the the you know, the, the the order of finish will likely come down to the to the game again you know, you know between the two of them, um, which is at Cal, um, and, and Cal's a you know Cal is a is a favorite in Beta Rank by about six points in that game. Oh, um, Cal Cal beat him last year. Yeah, you know, Cal beat him last year. And and Cal's probably incrementally going to get better uh, at least right. on offense, and Stanford is probably going to be worse. You know, right. I see. I see it the same way. You know, yeah. They'll probably finish with the same record, but Cal will. You know, because Cal has ASU, and I like ASU in that game. Um, uh, but I think Cal beats Stanford, and they finish. You know, on top. All right. Right, and then, it, it, but if Stanford, that I mean, they have a shot to finish. Right. I mean, like, so let's say they take you know three losses, they lose to the three top teams. There, they're at five hundred. But then you potentially get, you know, like. You might get uh, ASU or Utah, you know, in the in the seventh game. You know, they they could finish with a winning record, and you know, maybe they get like oh, a really no, easy bowl draw. I, I, I think they. I, I think Cal finishes three in the north, and they draw the three out of the south. Uh, oh no, you're would right. Probably, Stanford would finish four. And then right. Stanford would get like that's Arizona that's thing, or Colorado that the gap or between previous. three and four in the south is going to be enormous. Um, and they'll yeah. probably do like if Colorado finishes four, which is sort of where I think they do, they, they won't have them repeat that game. So instead, Stanford will bump down to the the five, oh. which will probably be UCLA. Yeah. So it may be that, you know, Cal finishes three and three with a win over Stanford, but then three and four after that game and Stanford four and three. And then those they get right back at it, yelling at each other across the bay. Yeah, it I just d- annoys me because Stanford's actually a hard job, like objectively oh, yeah, a hard job. Figuring out how you how you do the recruiting to that. I mean, like they sort of wind up being trapped by their talent because they can't take yeah. huge classes. They can't process dudes out. They can't to do really take dudes out of the transfer portal. They absolutely can't take JUCOs. Um, and so, you know, you have to be, I mean, it's a really fascinating puzzle to try to figure out how to be a good Stanford coach. And David Shaw had it for a while there, but the yeah. word- but to flip it around though, I'm sorry, but to flip it around, like now all of a sudden they're a team that's like, 
they're just like they're objectively wasting good players, and that annoys me. Like that that kind of thing annoys me <laughs> like, to no end. He got a free Stanford <laughs> education. I'm not annoyed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The the worst thing I think for them is going four and three. And 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 Shaw takes a step back and goes, everything's fine. We're gonna keep things as good. Yes. Whereas you know, if like it would be awesome if they went four and three. And then he said, all right, in order to you know get everybody up to where we need them, we need to clean house. And I just don't, I don't know if that's gonna happen. And it no might take, yeah, it might take like a one and five or a two and yeah, six, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they went zero and seven, that might get through his thick skull. But they're not gonna go zero and seven. And I mean. Even that might get through his. Skull. I just like him I so much, what... but I like he makes it so frustrating. He, like what you mentioned, Rob, he built something. Uh, like how many people thought he was going to take over for Harbaugh and just like and just continue that success and and that first recruiting class that he got and just to keep that going is really really impressive. I know we dump on him a lot, but like um, it is it is really cool what he's done there. I just really hope that he brings in some talent to keep it going because it can be. Um, imagine if Stanford just falls down to where it used to be. Now you have like five bottom dwellers in the conference, and that's just awful for the Pac-12. Well, just you just wait. I would like as much as we say, like they like suppose they lose to Colorado, then they, they lost know, to Colorado last year, man. I know. I mean, let's say they beat, and then they would they likely beat Washington State. I would take Cal over them. They're likely going to lose to Washington, even though Washington does inexplicably stupid things. Um, I mean, they're they're on a two game losing streak to Cal. And then you get like it's like I mean I, I like and I say this like I was excited not be, like not like Arizona's gonna have to play Utah anyway Utah replaces dang near everyone you might as well get them early Stanford gets Oregon State late at a time when Jonathan Smith will have time to have that offense potentially much more finely tuned and I like Oregon State to close out the season better than I like them to open the season I agree so, like, with you I like Oregon State in that game. Yeah, I mean, so all of a sudden you're looking at Stanford could potentially finish out the season on a three-game losing streak, you know. And if they lose to Colorado, it could be. I mean, it could like it's not inconceivable for this to be a disaster season, you know, on the farm. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I actually, you know, it it never exactly works out this way. But like, I would favor Stanford in the Wazoo game because I think that Wazoo is really going to have a tough year. I don't. I would not favor Stanford in their other five games. Well, we will, we shall see. I think that's the best part of going on uh, uh, on the record is to see what happens when the season progresses. Um, we said we were going to do Washington State. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry to our listeners. Um, we just kept going on and, on Stanford and Cal. We'll make sure to, to connect the, with them the next uh, podcast that we do. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, uh, write a review if you really like the show. And then uh, if you retweet this podcast, we will enter you into the Pac-12 survivor pool and very excited to host that and we will continue i think next week well we won't tell you who we're going next week we're going to talk about who we want to cover but we're getting into the contenders plus washington state and then (laughs) then we'll continue the podcast as we go into the season again every monday we're releasing these and we will continue to release these every monday as the season progresses we'll do previews of the show of the games to come and then reviewing what had happened the weekend before so thanks for bearing with us guys thanks for coming on and we'll catch everybody next week